This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132. Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. All this month, we are featuring a series called 2019, A Look Ahead. Now we're going to turn our focus to technology. The tech sector went through a lot of ups and downs last year. On the one hand, executives from several companies testified before congressional committees regarding their use of customers' personal data. Employers were held accountable by their own workers over business decisions. And some tech giants, like Elon Musk, found themselves facing unexpected legal issues. But 2018 was also a year of technological advances. 2019 holds even more promise. With the arrival of uh, 5G, possibly, new Apple products, further development of AI and virtual reality, and others. Joining us to discuss this on the phone, Saika Chowdhury, who's an uh, adjunct associate professor of management here at the Wharton School, and also joined by Tucker Marion, who's an associate professor and group chair for academic programs, entrepreneurship, and the innovation group at Northeastern University's DeMore McKim School of Business. Saika, Tucker, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you both. Great to be here. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I guess let, let's start, Psychit, with the with the company side. And, and obviously, 2018, we can go through all of the, the, the congressional testimony that was put forward. But it seems like that now, stepping forward to 2019, it is going to be a very important year for a lot of these companies in the tech sector to really be leaders of our communities. Yeah, of course. Fully agreed. Um, you know, the FANG companies have all done uh, really well. But, um, you know, if you look at the uh, ethical and other aspects that we have to deal with, say, with the Facebooks and interference in elections or even with, um, you know, other firms and what they're dealing with, uh, it's not easy. I think what it speaks to is that we often focus when it comes to innovation and technology on the technology itself. And while that's an important piece, other aspects like the strategy, the organization, but also the ethical frameworks and the regulatory side are really, really important. You know, yeah. and that becomes critical to get those aspects settled too, whether we're in fintech or healthcare or any of these other uh, areas that social media cover. Tucker, I, I would agree. I think that if you look at at the largest tech firms, they hold enormous power of billions of people being uh, using their products and services, and I think that that uh, you'll see continued scrutiny. Uh, with privacy and other matters of, of uh, companies, both in the in from the European EU side, and also uh, increasingly, you're hearing grumblings on uh, in Washington D.C. about what can we do or what should be done yeah. about uh, everything from transparency to, to how data is used, and and I think it's important, and it will be a, a story to watch this year. The, the the disappointing part of it, Tucker, probably is the fact that these are discussions that probably should have been occurring a decade ago, and they haven't, and now a lot of the uh, what's going on in Washington, D.C., if we do move farther forward on regulation, is going to have to be playing catch-up. Well, I think that you've, over the history of time, you've seen we focus on getting a technology or a use of a technology out and don't necessarily think about the potential negative effects that the technology might have. In order to to commercialize a new technology, there needs to be a tangible benefit of what there is, but very rarely do we take a step back and look at the total system and how there actually may be a downside. Uh, I don't think that anybody would have realized that, that Twitter could be weaponized back in 2006. And, of course, 
we've seen what can happen with that. Uh, and I, but I think now that uh, we're conscious of that uh, going forward with new technologies like AI and others that we at least have the opportunity to maybe think about the long-term effects that technology may have. So where are you mo- most optimistic, Tucker, uh, about 2019 when you look at the tech sector in general? Uh, well, I think there are a number of interesting things going on. Uh, if we look at, let's say, transportation, we have the first real competitors to Tesla coming online very shortly with Porsche and others and Audi. So I think that will be interesting to see. Uh, from There's lots of exciting things with commercial space. We have the first launch of a, or planned launch of a, a manned commercial uh, space capsule with with the Dragon and, and SpaceX coming hopefully in in the summer of 2019. Uh, in terms of uh, clean energy, still some interesting things we saw this week with the Tesla Powerwall in, in uh, Australia, but also. Uh, in December, we had the largest purchase of offshore wind farming with, with Martha's Vineyard, over $400 million of, of purchased land to develop uh, wind energy off the coast of Massachusetts. And that's just some very, uh, you know, some, some examples there. But I think if you cut across all industries, there's some really interesting things going on that are setting up for the 2020s to be a really interesting decade. Psychic? I agree. I just wanted to underscore something that Tucker was also saying earlier um, about, you know, the unintended consequences of these technologies. The thing is, we have to remember that product innovation uh, and innovation in general is all about uncertainty, so we never know the outcomes. And it's also a bit of a chicken and egg problem. In theory, we'd love our politicians and the policymakers to always be on top of all that, but it's hard to, to do that. Now, in terms of specific technologies, I also, you know, to add to what Tucker was saying, I'm personally very excited about a a few areas. One is, you know, on the transportation side, the autonomous vehicle and actually making progress. We we still have this as very much a vision of all the things it could do, and then we'll have a bit of a reality check on where we stand. I am also keen to see the developments in healthcare through both uh, artificial intelligence. You know, we know that IBM Watson did really well in uh, diagnosing glaucoma um, accurately and more accurately than some experts, but the important part was a few months ago, if you put the expert opinion together with the algorithm, we got the best results. So that's exciting as well as gene editing and, and working on some cures. For me, the important part in healthcare is we need a new way of developing treatments. You know, this old combinatorial chemistry approach has lasted for a while and takes 10 years and $1 billion and doesn't always work. Final area where I'm really excited is in improving transactions. Um, so we talk a lot about blockchain. For me, it's not per se about just blockchain, but it's a way of thinking about how can we make more efficient any kinds of financial and other transactions, and I think we'll yeah. see some real test cases. Here. Well, the, the, the blockchain is an interesting area, Saikot, because uh, you have done a lot of work in that area, and we've talked about it uh, quite a bit on the show. And where we are right now is obviously we, we're seeing it grow, uh, but we aren't seeing it really on a day-to-day basis uh, you know, being used across the United States. It, it doesn't, it really hasn't hit the consumer side yet. And, and it feels like that maybe we're still a little bit a ways away from that. Yeah, I think, you know, in blockchain, we have to remember a couple of things. First of all, Bitcoin is one application of blockchain and yeah. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have gotten a bit of a bad rap. But blockchain more broadly is just a distributed ledger. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think what's what's happening is that we need some regulation to allow that. So the power of blockchain will also be, 
in decentralizing transactions. And you can imagine that the regulatory framework, especially you know when you think about the big uh, regulators on the banking side, are hesitant to just say, you know what, we can have an alternative technology which conducts all these financial transactions. Um, so that's why it's been slow there. Where we have seen, though, an uptake, which is really good, is companies who are working um, with their suppliers, right? Some of them, like Luckner in Germany, for example, in the metals business, they are in, invoking, and some Indian companies too, blockchain solutions to make transactions amongst themselves in their supplier network uh, easier. And that's okay because it's a controlled, contained type of blockchain within actors that know each other. Tucker, where are you on, on blockchain? Well, I, I would, would agree that it's a very exciting technology and it actually uh, may take a little bit of time if you're going to be integrating blockchain into uh, product lifecycle management software or supply chain software, ERP. It, it, those are large platforms that need to be very stable and they need to be rolled out over time. So I think that you'll start to see an increasingly uh, impactful uh, a deployment of those of those systems as, as uh, we had just heard. So I think that uh, and that's going, of course, going beyond financial uh, transactions. I think that it's an exciting technology, uh, in addition to to AI. Tucker, what about about five G? Because I think a lot of people keep hearing about it. There's an expectation uh, of it coming, uh, maybe this year, uh, maybe even uh, the early part of the year. What can consumers? What can can we expect as a as a whole for five G? Well, I think that. You know, we, it's you know, a substantial transformation in infrastructure, so we're increasing the amount of speed and bandwidth that individuals, particularly mobile, uh, can use. And I think that the exciting thing is, is what we don't know, is, is what we don't know that is going on in stealth startups that are going to be able to leverage uh, new the speed and the bandwidth that, that people can leverage and different applications and not only products but also services. And, of course, the big tech companies will be there as well. I think that's that will be exciting as we see going forward with the deployment of it and what that means for uh, media and other ways that we interact with the content that we're consuming. Saikat? Um, I, I tend to agree. I think you've summarized it really well, uh, Tucker, there. And, uh, you know, all these variables have to fall into place. What else, what other areas are, are you looking at, Saikat, as well? Um, broadly, if we, uh, you know, for me, I think that we have to look at energy. Uh, we also have to look at education. The, the reason I, I say this is because the energy part with climate change is very obvious, uh, but education is also important because if you look at where we stand in the world today with the growth we have, but also the challenges we have, conventional solutions in terms of technologies are not going to get us, or incremental innovation is not going to get us to where we can say educate everybody, have good health care for everybody, and so forth, right? So I'm looking for the analog of what happened in telecom. You just talked about 5G, but the analog of what happened in telecom is we moved from wireline to wireless, and all yeah. of a sudden that created a revolution in connecting the world and then enabled, as a result, also everything we have in terms of the content and the data that we put through these pipes, right? So I really am excited about potential new uh, aspects there. Now, for me, what's important there is, you know, Tucker mentioned sustainability, the business models. You know, it's not always in the actual technology, but it's in the business models. How can we, for example, get alternative energy sources going? How can we make sure that uh, MOOCs as well as um, 
other online educational tools are really both in effectiveness good, but also work from a business model point of view and transition that from pilots and individuals to societies and systems. How much uh, transformation do you think that that could have in education specifically as we move forward? I think it's it would be it would change the world right i mean right now we know if you take countries like india and in countries like africa as well you can't build enough schools to educate people uh the question right. is how can we get everybody educated to a certain level and we need that right if we're moving to a world which is more knowledge driven we will need to get everybody up to uh, a certain educational standard right now i think undergrads uh from the universities on the west coast not necessarily even stanford or berkeley not that others are bad but uh, earn something like three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars coming out of undergrad if they understand, say, AI or robotics. And so, whether it's at the primary school level or higher education level, we need to find uh, more effective and efficient ways of educating people. I think the MOOCs idea is great. The problem is, and this is why I mentioned business model. It's it's sort of an extended way. It's not about you know people paying for it, but think about certifications, for example. Like, what will we accept as uh, a degree, you know? So normally we have certain notions of university degrees. Do we need that in the future, or do certifications from online courses count? And if you have the skill set, these are the larger questions that I think need to be answered. And if we can do that, we've got the technologies in place to just scale this and accelerate this and put the content through. Tucker? Right. I, I couldn't agree more. And from badging your certificates to you know, multiple concentrations within a particular degree, that, that's, that's the direction that things are going in. People want – and if you think about uh, the industry of higher education uh, – Often it's built for the very long term, meaning that you can have a class and you might teach a very similar class for 10 years. That doesn't make it anymore because the dynamics of markets and technology are moving much faster. Uh, that So that's necessitating the truncation of learning into smaller increments uh, because what we're learning today will be obsolete in five years. And, and right. the, the entire system of higher education needs to respond to that. And that's why if you look at all of the tech company, new tech companies that are in the education space, that's uh, it's exciting for them, but it also is a challenge for the institutions that we work at that have to respond to that and also need to step up to the global challenge of educating people globally in ways that are affordable, sustainable, and also delivering what they need in terms of responding to dynamics in the marketplace and, and what employers and, and those end customers really require. And you're talking about, Tucker, a, a obviously a significant shift that, that needs to go on because when you think about, uh, you know, what grade school education and high school education is these days, uh, it, it varies so much even within a particular city as to what students get when you have so many different options, public school, charter, private as well. The, the, the varied level of education really makes it, makes a, puts a difference in play. Oh, absolutely. And and just a very simple example. The other day I was walking by, I have a, a daughters that are in fourth grade, and one of them was uh, manipulating a Tinkercad. And I didn't realize that in her engineering class in fourth grade that she was doing that. She was talking about 3D printing. Fourth graders are doing that today. It was very uh, – 10 years ago when we started to introduce – that sort of thing and, and the ramifications of 3D printing to business students, it was brand new to them. And so the, the, 
it's a, just a complete change in yeah. the speed at which things are happening, and we need to respond to that and be on the, the leading edge rather than, than trailing behind, and I think that that's a challenge for all of us. Tucker, I'm, I'm just impressed you mentioned fourth grade and engineering class in the, in the, same, in the same statement right there. Yeah, exactly. But that's that's the situation that we're in. Yeah. And for the you know, the how large the quote unquote industry is for higher education is that we're we're facing some very challenging times over the next ten years or twenty years. So, so, so as we move forward, and, and when you think of a variety of different issues where tech is playing a role right now, we just mentioned education. It was mentioned before autonomous. How much overlap can there be, not necessarily with the actual functionality, but because of of the elements of technology that are coming into play here, how much overlap can there be between different areas of growth that we need to see so that we can not just raise the education side, but we can raise three or four other areas as well? Well, I think that uh, you raise an, an excellent question, and it's multifold. I mean, uh, one is sort of things are ecosystems, and there's a lot of industrial convergence. But the other thing that I find particularly exciting is we have a lot of general purpose technologies now. In other words, if you looked at the tech boom of the late 90s, right, it was around information technology. But if you look at the kinds of things that are happening today, whether it's artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, the industrial Internet of Things, drones, robots, etc., AR, VR, the list goes on. These are, you know, we have about 10 fundamental technologies that will go and affect pretty much any industry. And that's why we see innovation happening across different sectors. Nothing is spared. Finance, the cars, the way we build aircraft, Everything to the consumer types of applications, retail, machines, really everything is being affected. I think that's the exciting part for me, these general purpose technologies. So any technology that we take now, the underlying technology, can be applied in so many different ways, and that is the great thing. And the other piece there is that we'll need a combination. It's not just about right. storing a bunch of data and analyzing it in the cloud and, uh, you know, and having everything connected whether it's in industry and the supply chain or it's with cars, the point is that we actually have to combine that with, say, artificial intelligence to be able to have the system make good decisions for us, right, and, and yeah. make things more efficient. Tucker? I couldn't agree more. And, and just a, you know, an example of that is uh, with generative design and real-time analysis that's being deployed in computer-aided design software platforms. Uh, it used to be that, of course, if you're an automotive company or if you were Boeing or Airbus, that that was just perfect for you. But now, for example, we can, uh, using MRI data, make a very extremely accurate model of capillaries in the brain. We can model blood flow, fluid flow through a, a particular capillary. And what this allows is a surgeon, a neurosurgeon, to go in and in real time be able to pinch a capillary if they were to close something off and see how that impacts other areas in the surrounding area to try to think about the, what is the right surgical path to remove a brain tumor. That's computer-aided design and analysis. What used to be really just traditional physical products is now really altering medicine. And that goes to the point where there's a lot of convergence of technologies that are helping multiple industries. But at the kind of the foundational level, it's really the technology that's allowing these uh, big changes. So then, uh, Tucker, I'll, I'll ask this next question more from the business side of things than with the potential of seeing this overlap occurring in even a faster fashion moving forward. That leads me to believe that there also is a greater opportunity for M&A activity with a lot of these companies moving forward. 
Well, not only that, but there's also a lot of interesting alliances and development of innovation ecosystems where there's some complementary research and development, some complementary applications where this technology can be used to help other industries from insurance to uh, developing new compounds for interesting foods. There's there's just a, you know, a, a lot of things that can help each other, and that's why I think you're seeing areas, major areas uh, of of research uh, just because I'm in Boston, but we have an innovation ecosystem or uh, area that has a whole sorts of, of interesting companies and startups uh, actually developing that sort of sort of uh, complementary ecosystem of relationships. Saika, your thoughts? Oh, for sure. I, uh, you know, let me make it even more fundamental, which is that with so many things going on, so many technologies developing simultaneously and endless possibilities, for any corporation, any company, it's impossible to do everything on your own. Um, and so what happens is that, like you see in any new industry that emerges, you'll have a whole host of different players entering the market. Then there's a bit of a shakeout, right? Some survive, some don't. And uh, those probably will be part of a larger uh, ecosystem or be bought or something of that sort. Why that's important is because there are some sectors where you have this romanticized notion of the disruptor coming in and replacing, you know, the incumbent, the established player, right? And we've right. seen that in different ways, you know, like, uh, um, for example, what the Cisco's did to classic telecom equipment manufacturers like Nortel and so forth, right? But... In other areas, you actually need the big players, too, so it has to be a collaboration. If you think about something like autonomous vehicles, right, you'll have to have the big players involved. They've got the capital. Same thing on the energy side. Um, and in banks, for sure, you know, where you've got these small players, they have alternative payment systems, but who has the scale and the ability to work out the regulatory side and be compliant? It's the right. bigger banks. So many, many reasons. And as you're saying, all forms of collaboration are going to happen. I, I wanted to ask uh, both of you for a second about uh, the Internet of Things, which is something that obviously is growing right now. We see it being more and more incorporated in, into our lives right now. And so, Saikat, I, I ask this from the perspective of if it is integrated in our lives and it is still growing, how much farther will it grow in terms of our business communities, things like healthcare, and you know, and continue to kind of grow those areas as well? Anything can be connected, um, and so I think we will end up in a world where all kinds of data uh, is passed on to all kinds of you know manufacturers, whether it's your fridge sending information and ordering things uh, for you, or it's the back end. What's exciting for me on the Internet of Things part, though, is the industrial internet of things. I mean, it's cute and it's also useful if, you know, your app from the airline informs the hotel that your flight is delayed and your rental car is also informed. That is useful, but the real power in these things comes from when manufacturing and supply chains on the logistics side become more efficient. You know, that's where the trillion dollar opportunities lie or transactions on the back end are more efficient. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. And things such as inventory control, detecting food spoilage, all of these things. And the reason why it's, it's, it is getting the buzz and is being implemented is because it actually affects the bottom line. If we can reduce yeah. waste, if we can improve efficiencies, uh, that is very easy to justify the implementation of an IoT system in whatever application you're talking about. 
so what are then the technologies you think that are we're going to see businesses most focused on in 2019 and maybe 2020 as well, Tucker? Where to start? Uh, I'll just, since we're just talking about IoT, I'll just just give a, a couple of examples. Uh, you have you know, an increasingly robust, low-cost array of sensors that can detect gases, that can position location uh, without using GPS, uh, and that are also low power consumption. So these things can operate for years, and they can do all sorts of things from mining safety to detecting uh, different types of gases in different environments. So that's just a very simple example. But, but uh, you know, I think that if we look at you know, sensor, sensor technology, uh, things that are in, like, for example, the Apple Watch and detecting different areas, and that will only increase. Uh, we're at the point now where these things are, are very low cost, low power. You can do some interesting things. You're collecting all sorts of data that can be useful from smart farming to uh, the food and supply industry. Second? Beyond the technologies we've talked about, one that I'm excited about is uh, really new materials technology. So we've been talking earlier about nano and so forth, but let's take that a bit more broadly of materials technologies. Why? Because what, sometimes the form factor and the materials, the physical properties, tend to be our limitations. So let me give you a simple example. Right now, we all have a smartphone and a tablet as well as a laptop. However, I see no reason to have all three. I should be able to whip out my phone from my pocket, use it as such if I need, unfold a keyboard and a monitor when I need to make it more into a laptop, and of course use my fingers to also uh, you know, really do the inputs on the tablet screen if I need to as well. That's limited by the fact that we can't quite fold up everything and put it in our pocket at the moment, yeah. and uh, it's more the physical property. So I think in addition to what you said, materials technologies are very exciting. Uh, I couldn't agree more uh, about materials, and I think that we've been in kind of the zone of IT technology for, for 20 years, and now lots of basic research in material science is now at the point where it's being commercialized. So you're seeing really advanced materials being used in metal 3D printers that are having a real impact on what, how parts are designed and how they're actually manufactured, being used in vehicles and aerospace, enabling much lower weight, higher strength, uh, and real performance gains. And that's due to you know, innovation in material science, which we didn't have for, for well, we had some of it, but, but not to the point that we're starting to see uh, with the commercialization of new compounds and new materials that can form some really interesting end-item products. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and we will catch up with you down the road. Thank you. Great oh, to be with you. Pleasure. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 